welcome to the Tea and Empathy podcast. Tea and Empathy is a wonderful peer support network of thousands of healthcare professionals working across the NHS and across the world. The aim of Tea and Empathy is to foster an atmosphere of compassion and support throughout the healthcare profession so that no one feels they are alone or unsupported. I am Dr Caroline Walker and it gives me great pleasure to bring you the Tea and Empathy podcast a series of interviews with inspirational healthcare workers, spreading tea and empathy even further. We hope you enjoy the podcast and please know that whoever you are, wherever you are and whatever you are feeling, you are not alone and there is support out there for you. to the Tea and Empathy podcast. Um, today it's really exciting. I've got um, Professor Claire Gerarda with me. Um, and yeah, um, let's just dive straight in. So Claire, may I call you that? Is that all right? <laughs> um, tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Okay, well I'm a general practitioner, but I actually started my career training as a psychiatrist and I trained at the Maudsley Hospital having already done medicine and an accident and emergency. But what I really missed in every single job was the previous job. So I then realized I was a generalist and I also missed seeing patients who were better. I missed looking after people over a long period of time. Mm. So in my heart, and I think really since quite a small adult, a small child really, I've been a GP. So I'm a GP, I work in South London, I've been at the same practice for 26 years and I also run, as you know, the Practitioner Health Programme. You started off your career as a a psychiatry training and then as a GP and now you're you're working in Practitioner Health. Yes, but I still do general practice and I'm proud to say that there isn't a week goes by when I don't do normal general practice. But I spend most of my time doing practitioner health and have done now probably the best part of five years. The service has been running 10 years, but really as it's got bigger and bigger, it's taken more and more of my time. Okay. Could you tell us a bit about the Practitioner Health Programme? Yes, of course. The Practitioner Health Programme was set up a decade ago. It is a free, confidential service for doctors and dentists with mental health and addiction problems. PHP, www.php.nhs.uk. It's accessible to for all doctors and dentists living in London, for all GPs, that's ST1 to one year post-retirement across England, and trainees right down to the south coast of Brighton, Suffolk, Sussex and Suffolk. No, right down to the south coast, so we cover the KSS Deanery area. So around about 85,000 doctors can access us. The remaining doctors, I'm afraid, have to get a referral through their GP, which actually means that it isn't confidential because they have to let their GP know. So it's accessible to all doctors in London who live in London, all GPs in England, and others through a referral from their general practitioner. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, if you think back 10 years ago, what was the landscape like for doctors' health in this country? Caroline, 10 years ago, there was very, very little. If you were lucky, you could see somebody in a neighbouring 
PCT area, we called them mm. in those days. But it was really hit and miss. Uh, the BMA, of course, have been running Doctors for Doctors for many years, and your own service, the mm-hmm. Sick Doctors Trust, has been providing excellent service. But really and truly, it was hit and miss. Nothing provided the comprehensive nature of what we provide, and certainly nothing that was truly confidential, with some caveats. But I think what we now provide is is a really good service for doctors in distress. A decade ago, people were lobbying for this sort of service, but it took the catalyst of Daksha Emson, who was a talented young psychiatrist, who killed herself and her three-month-old baby mm. before the funding was found. Mm. Yeah, that was a very tragic case, and it was a, a similarly tragic case that really sparked off the tea and empathy movement, as you know, um, the loss of um, the junior doctor Rose Polger's mm. life down in, in Devon. Um, so tea and empathy really is about that idea of connecting doctors to other doctors and, and the idea that sort of compassion and support can be really helpful and powerful for doctors. Um, can you tell us about a time when you have perhaps struggled a bit and needed some tea and empathy yourself? <laughs> it's a question we ask of everyone because um, well, we know we all struggle. <laughs> we all struggle and of course the more senior you get the less able you are to actually disclose that you struggle because mm. you, know, you tend to be supporting others. I'm fortunate in that I've got a really good partnership, so we tend to moan together. But I think, I mean, I I do remember many years ago when I was in my mid-30s when I think I'd lost my mojo. I think I'd lost, we call it burnout, but I think I'd really become fed up and really wanted a break and didn't quite know what to do. And thought well shall I have a third child and be able to take some maternity leave off which is probably the worst idea in the world to mm-hmm. plan a pregnancy so I actually asked my partners if I could take five months sabbatical to write a book which I did do and I turned I can remember walking away from the surgery thinking how will the patients cope without me how will I cope without the patients and to be absolutely honest I never walked back towards the surgery for five months and when I did go back after five months it was the most refreshing change I could have ever made because actually I changed the way I work I changed the number of sessions I did I changed Mm. what I did I even changed where I practiced so it it shows that change is as good as a rest it Mm. is Mm. but actually what it showed me was that by having a bit of time out albeit I was still working and running a service at the Royal College of GPs it meant I felt re-energised to go back to see my to do my patients and see my clinic do my clinical work mm. is that something you see a lot of in the patients that are treated by the practitioner health program this kind of need for a bit of a break or some yes, time out or different perspective it, it is i mean we i think people are certainly the younger generation are much more likely to take a break they, they take a lot more gap years than i ever did and mine wasn't really a gap year but i think it is about not feeling indispensable it's about saying you probably need your patients more than they need you which is a difficult a difficult concept to get your head around but it, I think it's true and actually start to reassess what you're doing and how much of it you are doing and pull down your oxygen your own oxygen mask first if you're not coping then you can't possibly give to others and expect to be able to help them if you're feeling yourself that you're struggling mm. I was really struck by what you said about it being harder to disclose that you're struggling the more senior you become, do you see um, senior doctors in the in the practitioner? Y- yes, we see some very senior doctors, and we see some of uh, 
doctors who hold leadership positions across the country mm. and it is hard I mean take for example a, a senior consultant paediatrician usually they have to support all the juniors so they're left literally holding the baby with nowhere to go they have to support everybody else but of course they too have emotions now as doctors we learn to have defences and defences are very useful to help us to survive a lifetime in medicine but sometimes especially in today's NHS when there's little time to breathe those defences can have a very thin veneer mm. and unless doctors do seek help seek the support of their peers and take time out then actually it is quite easy to become burnt out anxious depressed or whatever mm. we, we, we see in our service mm-hmm. and how are you helping doctors through the service I mean what's when when a doctor comes to you and they're struggling what sorts of things is it that they need what's helping well i think first and foremost we offer a safe space to just talk to talk about the problems that they're experiencing uh, we offer a listening ear a skilled listening ear but we also offer a lot more than that depending on what the problem is we can offer a whole range of treatments right from physical interventions uh, such as uh, we don't offer physical interventions well, like medication like medication but like, we, yeah. we offer pharmacological interventions yeah. such as medication we can offer inpatient treatment for alcohol detox we can mm. offer psychotherapeutic interventions so individual work group mm. work and we can offer uh, access to mindfulness and we can hold your hand mm. and we can help you through the mess that some doctors have managed to get themselves mm. into with complaints or the regulator or their employer I know a lot of doctors that I see are, are very worried about that, about the consequences for their career if they do come forward. Could yes. you speak to that perhaps? We, 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 we offer, unless we have a, a saying in the service that you should never be worse off coming to us than not coming to us. So that means if you come to us and you tell us you're going to kill yourself, then clearly we will act because we always assume it's better that you're not dead and you're alive. But on the whole, we don't disclose. If you come and tell us that you've done some dreadful things, as long as it's not a statutory requirement, in other words, you haven't broken the law with respect to what we'd have to disclose, then uh, we'll keep it contained within Mm. our service. Now, we will keep contained if you tell us you're using drugs, as long as we're not concerned that you're putting yourself or your patients at risk. Mm. And we talk Mm. to you about that. But we do reassure every doctor that over the last 10 years we've only disclosed without consent about six times so and that's i understand you've seen maybe we've seen five and a half thousand patients so and all of those doctors where we've disclosed have been severely unwell usually psychotic and usually not uh, agreeing to Mm. do what we've suggested between their best and their patients best interest so as far as patients are concerned we are utterly confidential and nothing is done without the patient agreeing mm-hmm. or seeing mm-hmm. first so we don't write letters without your consent we show all reports to you mm-hmm. we don't write to your GP without your consent mm-hmm. and we look after you we look after you as you would want to be looked after and as most doctors probably look after their own patients mm. I think that speaks to the, the heart of um, T and empathy really that it's all about you know compassion to one another and I think it is self-compassion I think what I found is that doctors aren't compassionate towards themselves. They do give to others far more than they receive. And that's all well and good as long as you understand you're doing that and as long as you understand your motives. Mm. And also as long as you have a sort of an off switch, 
because I think most doctors, especially in today's busy NHS, feel they have to rescue everybody. Mm. They cannot mm. rescue the system. You cannot work any harder. It is not your fault there is no not enough funding in the NHS. It is not your fault there's not enough staff. Mm. There's a lot of talk at the moment, isn't there, about building resilience amongst staff. How do you well, I'm a bit, view I've that an, as I, an issue? I have antibodies to this building resilience. Mm. Uh, I'm not quite sure what it means. I also know there's very little evidence that mm. unless you... Tra- I mean, that the army have their resilience training in the environment that they're going to work, so they're shot at. Mm. Well, mm. the last time I looked, doctors don't carry guns. So unless you are developing resilience in the environment that you're working it's meaningless so taking Mm. somebody away and giving them a nice three or four days retreat and a rest and then putting Mm. them straight back into a busy emergency department or busy gp or under Mm. staff pediatric service it's a nonsense it's like for example taking two weeks annual leave you feel refreshed but within 30 seconds it's as if you've never had a break what we need to be doing is building the system mm. in order to not distress the staff that are working in the system. Mm. Mm, couldn't agree more. Um, I think there's a lot of doctors I speak to who feel that um, it's, it's kind of a victim-blaming model of working, yeah, so that somehow it's the doctor at fault, that they're well, not resilient enough to Somebody's Somebody once described yeah. to me resilience training is like training in slavery. Now, I'm not sure it is like that, but it's basically saying if we make you more resilient, you can work harder. Mm, mm. But actually what we need to be doing is removing the envi- some of the environmental stressors. And the, there are so many, Caroline, yes, environmental yeah, stressors yeah. that each one has to be looked at and addressed and the senior people, the people in control who are making the rules, that are creating the distress in the environment, have to look at themselves and to say, why is this happening? Mm, mm. Absolutely. So if you had, let's say this was your, I mean, hopefully it's not your last chance to speak to doctors. Hopefully you have many, many, many more mm. years doing this. Um, but let's for a moment imagine this is your last chance to, mm. to speak to doctors out there about their own health and well-being. What would you want to say to them? Well, I sort of talk about the I, the we and the they, and I say each one of you look at what you can do for yourself to remain mentally well. So for me, it's watching recurrent episodes of Come Dine With Me. For you, it might be running a marathon or having a hot bath. So each one of us needs to find something, and each one of us needs to understand when we are beginning to drift into burnout or drift into anxiety, depression, and then seek confidential help. Mm. The we, I really wish we can remind ourselves that practicing medicine is a relational activity. It's done between people, between doctors, between doctor and patient, between doctor and nurse. It's not an isolated activity. So what we need to do is to recreate those groups of belonging that we maybe had at medical school. Mm. Find a peer group, use your peer group in a formal or informal method. And then finally is the they. And I talk about the they, those people who are in control, who make the rules, need to start looking at unpicking some of the mess that my generation but others have made which is creating the atmosphere and the environment that is causing our doctors to become sick so the i the we and the they and finally caroline (laughs) medicine is fun it is a good job and if we can just hang on to the fact that the vast majority of doctors even listening to this will be mentally well Mm. vast majority of doctors sail through life yes of course they may get burnt out as i did but actually over a career it is a wonderful profession Mm. absolutely and finally one thing um we always ask our our guests on this podcast if there was a, a book that you could recommend 
to our listeners Which that would might I do? help them? Well, I've got absolutely no doubt. It's uh, Intelligent Kindness by mm. John Ballot and Penelope Campling, probably the best book that I've ever read. And it's the book that, when I was chair of the Royal College of GPs, rescued me by making me understand and realise that not everybody was working towards this industrialised, privatised, uh, sterile health system, but actually there were people that were writing about the, the therapeutic aspects of caring and the therapeutic aspects of being a patient. Have you read Thank it? Thank you. I have. It's fantastic. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. And I think speaks again to the importance of compassion in health It does. It talks yeah. all about compassion. Thank you very Wonderful. much. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tea and Empathy podcast. Any notes from today's episode can be found below. And please do tune in again for our next episode to hear more great tips and wisdom from another inspirational healthcare worker. If you haven't already and you'd like to join our wonderful Tea and Empathy family, simply pop along to Facebook and search for Tea and Empathy Public Group. And finally, if you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help us to spread some compassion and support to healthcare workers across the world, then please tell a colleague or a friend about us today. Tell them to listen in to the Tea and Empathy podcast. Bye for now. See you next time.